Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we discuss the Buccaneers' victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, you know, a lot of guys talk a big game, but if you're a one-and-done kind of guy, Blue Chew can even help you get to round number two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for all our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code locked on. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E chew.com. Promo code locked on. L O C K E D O N to try Blue Chew for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. David James, I'm so glad to be calling you after a spectacular Bucks victory. I didn't call you last week. I was on vacation, and I thought the team was starting to fall apart. But, man, they got it together. Despite a little hiccup at the beginning there with Evans running a lazy route, they got together. The defense played so well. I, I saw things I've never thought I'd see before. Vita Vea catching a touchdown. We got sacks. Man, I'm telling you, man, that was just a wonderful game. Just viewing it. It was great for the Bucks. I'm just glad we got the win. Go Bucks. What's up, guys? This is Matt from Morvin, Georgia, coming to you from deep in the heart of Falcons country. And you know what time it is? Time to fire the mini cannon. Dirty bird, smoke dog, cannon fire for Thanksgiving, boys. That Vita Man touchdown was one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. Glad to see the defense back, boys. Man, it's so tough right now. Go Bucks! What's up? And welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast, brought to you in part by Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Holy crap, we got a win to talk about. Woo-woo. And it did not look pretty. I got real angry in the uh, in the group chat there in the first quarter, and uh, things turned around. Thanks in part to, um, well, a god, Chris <laughs> Godwin. Uh, what a dominant performance by him. Vita Vea was incredible. The secondary played better than I have seen a Buccaneer secondary play in, what, probably since their four-game win streak when they were getting all those turnovers with Bradley McDougald, who got mm-hmm. an interception today. Shout out Bradley McDougald. Yeah, I'm a big fan. You don't sound like a big fan. No, I like Bradley. I didn't want the Bucks <laughs> to let him go, but they did, and he's in Seattle doing good things now. Yeah, McDougald and Tandy were part of that uh, that run that the Buccaneers had, but man, the secondary stepped up. Can't say enough good things about Carlton Davis and the way that he pretty much shut down Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, and, and I realized that Julio left the game with an injury, came back, wasn't himself, but in that first half, Julio was Julio. Mm-hmm. And Carlton Davis did a phenomenal job of of really shutting him down. Uh, Jamel Dean, career high, team high, five pass breakups in this one. Uh, back to Davis, first career interception. It was the most complete game we've seen out of this Buccaneers team all season long. I'll agree with that. It was it was a it was a very good game. 
uh, outside the, you know, the first, uh, I don't know, like six to 10 minutes of the game. I think if my math is correct. It was a pretty good game. Um, I will say though, and I don't, I mean, I don't mean it to be a downer or anything, but I will say that, uh, this defense has, has actually been playing fairly well over the, the past few weeks. Uh, they just haven't had an offense playing complimentary football with them again, kind of going back to the whole bend. I mean, that's what we saw today was bend don't break uh, defense. You know, they gave up some chunk plays. Uh, the Buccaneers defense did on the first drive, but then they held them to a field goal. And it almost actually started looking like it was going to be the same thing that we saw last week against the Saints because I, then the Buccaneers offense comes on the field uh, 40 seconds that first drive before they turn, turn the ball over. Falcons offense gets on the field. Uh, Bucks defense last week gave up uh, another field goal, but this week they actually, uh, thanks in large part, a little bit to a late, uh, late, late drive penalty, forced a punt. Buccaneers get the ball back, and that time they were able to to make something happen with it. And that, I think that's really the difference is you know the defense has been starting off fairly well, I think for the most part in a lot of these games, but at least to a point where the Buccaneers offense has an opportunity to do something, they're just not getting it done for whatever reason, you know, uh, whether it's turnovers or, you know, miss routes or uh, Harlem Globetrotter interception giveaways, you know, uh, stuff like that. There's just, there's things biting the offense uh, in the butt that are causing the defensive efforts to go for nothing. And then the longer that happens, the more pressure is on the defense, the more the offense is able to do and get away with and figure out. So really it's just, it's about who can get their, opponent pressing first and today the Buccaneers were able to get the Falcons pressing uh before they were and it 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 showed up on the on the field and showed up in the final score yeah and it's funny you say that because I had the exact same thought uh the parallels at the start of this game versus the start of last week's game were uncanny and it it had me immediately thinking you know what here we go again and, and I'm going to try not to get negative. I don't want to get negative to start off people's holiday week following a win. But I will say, and we can get into this another time, David, my my thoughts on what I was discussing in the group chat have not changed. Uh, I wrote about it in the pick six. So if you want to see that, uh, check out BucksNation.com after 9 a.m. And, and check out my, my pick six column. But let's keep with the positive. The fans are, ex- well, most fans are excited. I did see the the group of fans that were talking about how this this isn't going to help them get into the postseason. It is going to hurt their draft stock. I get it. When you're at this point in the season, you're three and seven. You know, a lot of fans would rather see the team lose and, and get that high draft pick and and uh, you know get get a major impact guy that's going to help the team in the future rather than get meaningless wins like we. You know, we talked about the the past couple seasons. The Buccaneers have gotten that meaningless Week 17 win, and you know, you go back to that. I mean, a, a meaningless win over the New Orleans Saints kept the Buccaneers from being able to get Quentin Nelson. You know how much how much of an impact would Quentin Nelson have on this offensive line if if he had been the pick in in the Bucks hadn't beaten the Saints? But that's neither here nor there. Uh, as you mentioned, shout out to the offensive line; they didn't allow a sack, David. Do you know how many days it has been since the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line has not allowed a sack in a game? 526. You know, that's really not too terribly far off given the magnitude of the days. Uh, 441. Mm. The last time that they went without allowing a sack was the shocking upset in week one last year where Fitzmagic beat the Saints. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I don't know how many days it's been since they didn't allow a sack when Jameis Winston was under center, but it's been 526. Know, well, I don't think that would put them in the NFL season. That that's only yeah, I don't know it's 80 spot. some. Uh, yeah, it's only a couple of months before week one of last year, but uh, it's been a long time. We'll say yeah. that. But credit where credit is due. Uh, the offensive line played a, a phenomenal game, especially against a team whose pass rush had really come on the past couple weeks uh, in wins over the Saints and the Panthers who went head-to-head today. Uh, Saints squeak out a win. Nobody's surprised by that. I'm more surprised that it was as close as it was. Yeah. But, David, we have uh, we have some voicemails that we are going to get to, so why don't we go ahead and, and dive on in and hear what the listeners have to say. James, David, how you guys doing? This is Brent from Houston, Texas. Um, just want to say it 
if this is a glimpse of our future at the secondary, in our secondary, the future looks bright because these young guys are really starting to play. They really play very well today. Um, second thing is, please tell me if we're going to trade O.J. Howard. Do you guys know that our two defensive tackles have more touchdowns than our supposedly freakish athlete tight end? And another thing with O.J. Howard, how is a man that big get tackled so easily when he has the football? I don't get it. Time to get O.J. out. Jameis, you know, Dr. Jameis, Mr. Hyde, I don't know which one you're going to get. He looks really good sometimes, looks really bad. I don't know what to do. Whatever we do, I'm with it. Whatever we do with Jameis. But the O.J., O.J. got to go. Secondary looks great. Great job today. Way to go. Go Bucks. All right. Thank you very much for the call. Um, yeah, O.J. got close to getting another touchdown. And I wouldn't say that O.J. Howard gets tackled easily. I think defenders in the NFL are smart. And if you watch OJ get tackled, guys aren't wrapping him up and, and taking him down. Guys are going for his legs and taking those out. It's hard to run when your legs get kicked out from underneath you. But, you know, I still do believe that OJ Howard is a freakish athlete. I still do believe that if utilized, OJ Howard is an elite tight end in the NFL. For whatever reason, it's not working in Bruce Arian's system. And David, we've talked about it before. Would it be a good idea to to move on from O.J. Howard? I wrote about it. I wrote about it last week saying that with as much help as this team needs, it would be a good idea to trade off O.J. Howard. He is probably one of, the, one of, if not the most tradable asset that they have that isn't going to create another hole. You know, Jameis does just fine with Cameron Bray. You know, O.J. Howard is somewhat of a luxury. He's a better all-around tight end than Cameron Brait. He's a better blocker. He's, you know, a better athlete. But I don't think there's another player on the team that you can truly get rid of without taking a step back and get more in return for than O.J. Howard. Yeah, I think uh, there, there comes a point where Coach Arians, Jason Light, uh, Coach Leftwich are going to have to have to. They're going to have to have a real conversation about is OJ someone that can contribute significantly to the team, or is he someone that they can easily replace for what he's bringing to the team? And that's not a question of talent. Like the the dude has more talent than is being displayed on the field as a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. That's I don't I think that's without question. But so. That that's where things kind of get confusing, like the public court, you know, of, of opinion is if this team isn't using his his abilities to the full potential, then you have to believe that one of two things is either going to happen: the team is either going to move him, or he's going to move himself. Like like I know that he's a, you know he's a first he's on his first contract, he doesn't have a lot of control until you know six or so years into his, his career. But at the end of the day, if if you're the Buccaneers, do you really want to sit here and continue to just kind of you you know keep this asset on the shelf when you can use that asset to go and get you either a pick to get you a different player at a, a, a at a position of more need or to get a veteran you know even as a stopgap uh, you know and I mean and OJ could end up going I mean you trade him to I don't know the Washington Redskins like Dwayne Haskins got his first pro win uh, today you know if Darius guys can can ever stay healthy and meet his potential they got a pretty good running back. Um, uh, Terry McLaurin looks really good so far in his his rookie season as a wide receiver. So adding a tight end there would obviously help Dwayne. They use some draft capital, get get an offensive line or something like that. Now, you, next thing you know, the Redskins have an offense worth reckoning with. And Buccaneers fans sit here and say, "Oh well, this is what the OJ we knew we had that Bruce Arians couldn't get." And I don't know. It's not if it's that they can't get it. It's more that he just doesn't fit what they're trying to do. Um, that's not an indictment on OJ or necessarily the coaching staff. But if he's more valuable to what he can bring you that fits into your scheme than move him and get that stuff versus, I don't know. It's kind of like sitting on a million bucks in the bank because you really want to have a million bucks in the bank, but your car is broken down and your power is shut off and your NFL Sunday ticket subscription has lapsed because you're not paying your bills. 
Like that money's just sitting there doing nothing. And OJ's not doing nothing. You know what I mean? He's blocking, and there's still linebackers in the NFL that have to respect him as a receiver. But is he a threat as a receiver right now to opposing defenses? I don't know. That might be something we we take a look at the All-22 and see where the Falcons are really concerned about OJ Howard as a receiving threat. Because if they're not, then he's just like any other tight end you put on the field. You put Cameron Braid on the field, maybe he's not as athletic, you know, top shelf athletic as OJ is, but they're not going to not cover him. Like again, this isn't basketball where you can just say, "Hey, that dude doesn't have a 3. Leave him open behind the arc and you'll be okay." You can't do that in the NFL because I mean, first play from or the first pass today from Matt Ryan went to who? Like I never even heard of this dude before he hit that hit that 53-58 yard pass. Um granted he didn't do anything else after that, but if you leave any tight end in the National Football League uncovered, then they're going to make a big play. So simply saying, well, opposing defenses cover him. Well, of course they do. Do they game plan for him? And if not, is there a team out there willing to pay you draft capital that you would pay for someone who is game planned against? Then it might be more worthy to do that. Uh, as much as people like Howard and, and and all that, it's not about liking somebody. It's about getting the best value for your team. All right. Well, David, let's go ahead and move on to the uh, the next caller. Hey, guys. This one's Aiton in Tampa. Good win. Good to see Vita and Sue get touchdowns. Good to see Godwin go off. And really with our offensive weapons, if we can just continue to get the others involved when teams try to double either Mike or Chris, I think we'd really be unbeatable. Anyway, have a good one, guys. Talk to you guys soon. One of the keys to so this team doesn't have a third wide receiver. Like that's that's been we we've documented that everybody's documented that the team does not have a third wide receiver. Granted, How Brash- dare you insult Vita Vea that way? <laughs> uh, Brashad Perryman made kind of a nice play or like in the game, like. It was a nice play, but it's because he made it harder than it had to be in the first place. Um, you know, Cam Bray had a big game last week, and he's had some big games. Ronald Jones got involved here or there. Uh, we've already covered OJ. Scotty Miller, you know, has flashed, you know, moments of talent here and there. And uh, he, he could be a guy that develops into something, you know, very, very competent and very serious down the road. It's, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but, you know, next year, even third year. He could be a guy that's that has a very that carves out a, ni- a very nice role in this offense. But for now, I think honestly, what the Buccaneers are going to have to do is they're going to come in week to week, engage the defense that they're playing, and find out where is the soft part in their coverage scheme. Where's the where's the soft part in talent that we can that we can leverage and we can exploit? And that's where our third receiver is going to be for this week. And it's either going to be honestly, it's either going to be a tight end or it's going to be the running back. So which one? Because most teams that cover tight ends really well don't necessarily cover running backs very well. Uh, most teams that cover running backs very well don't necessarily match up against tight ends very well because you're either talking about teams that have speed have speed to stay with running backs and agility to to make some plays in the open field, but they lack size. Or you have player, you have teams that have size so they can stick with your line or tight ends and play physical against them, but they lack the agility to stay with your running backs. So I really think that week to week that's what Byron Leftwich is going to have to do and the position coaches and the, and the quality control coaches and all that stuff is figure out where the weakness is for that defense. Like you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars coming up. Um, I, I haven't looked deep enough into their roster or, or anything, so I don't know. Like Miles Jack, like if he if Miles Jack is still playing out there, I would rather play Miles Jack against my tight end if I can scheme him into a position where he's open versus a running back because Miles Jack, Miles Jack is athletic enough to stay with my running backs, but. He's 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 actually a pretty good balance of speed and size. But if I have to pick my battles with him, I'm going to take the size. So you get a guy like Cam Bright and give him to box up against him, or if he can get some inside leverage on him and push him push him to the inside and break outside, that's something you can you might be able to exploit against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's just kind of an example um, moving forward. I think that's how the teams have to manufacture their third receiver until they uh, until they draft. Benjamin Victor from Ohio State in 2020. No, none of your Ohio State propaganda, sir. None. Zero. Anyway, yeah, Brashad Perryman's not going to be back on this team. Um, Scotty Miller has a long way to go before he could ever emerge as that Adam Humphreys type. They will address wide receiver in the offseason somehow, some way, whether it's free agency 
or in the draft from someone other than Ohio State, because believe it or not, Ohio State is not the only college football team out there. I know it's hard for David to believe, but I didn't say they were the only one, but Benjamin Victor is a six, four wide receiver with length and speed and the ability to get in or get downfield and make plays in the red zone. That's sounds like a pretty good third option to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's 70 other wide receivers across the landscape of college football that have the same or similar measurables. Wow. I I guess we'll see all 70 of those guys get drafted this April or coming April. Just saying you and your, it's all about Ohio state. I would take chase young though. I I can put my bias aside and and, and say chase young would be awesome. Just like I wanted the bosses. I would love Chase Young, but this team does not need Chase Young. Sure they do. You can never have enough pass rushers. Well, I mean, every team needs Chase Young. Don't don't like what I'm saying though is that this team has the can can invest anyway. It's a long conversation. Moving on. Just saying, you re-sign Shaq Barrett, you draft Chase Young. Oh. Oh, that'd be awesome. They won't draft high enough for Chase Young. They're gonna win two more games this year. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Like the, the draft capital cost, and then everything else, like the holes you wouldn't be able to fill. Like, like I said, it's a long, it's a, it's a long conversation. But having four wins, you're not getting Chase Chase Young unless he gets busted like smoking pot or something, and then maybe you can get him. Even that probably wouldn't drop him far enough to where the Bucks will be drafting. Because, yeah, I mean, I I do think the Bucks can beat Jacksonville, especially after what the Titans just did to Jacksonville yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um. I do think that they could potentially beat the Colts, which I would not have said three weeks ago, but this the the Colts offense has looked inept and lost the last couple of weeks. Jacoby Brissett has gone from um you know being a, a smart quarterback to being a quarterback that's afraid to take any chances and it's hurting the offense as a whole. So That'll be th- these next two games will be real interesting. All of a sudden, the the Buccaneers could be six and seven, and now you are talking about a team that could potentially weasel their way into the playoff picture, and you know would need they would need plenty of help. But the 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 last wild card right now, Seattle would be the five seed. Who would be the six seed for the NFC right now? I have no oh, idea. Oh, it's Minnesota. It's Minnesota. Yeah, the Bucks still wouldn't make the the Bucks could run the table, and I still don't think they could get in with Minnesota and Seattle blocking the way. Those are two I'm really not good Seattle. Teams. What's Minnesota's record right now? I think I think Minnesota only has two or three losses as well. No, I mean the Bucks only have seven. <laughs> only. <laughs> they're going eight and eight. That's what I said in the beginning of the season. I meant it. Then I mean I mean it. Now they're going eight and eight. I have no idea what they're going to do. the The bottom line: the Buccaneers can can beat every team they have remaining on their schedule. Bruce Arians said it; he wasn't lying; he wasn't wrong. They can beat every single team remaining on their schedule. They could have beaten every single team they've played. Yes. It's not a matter of what they're capable of doing; it's a matter of what they're actually going to do and what they're going to consistently do. So, again, uh, we've seen this show already this season four times. Now, this will be the, the a team entering a game off of a win, and we've yet to see them put together. Of a really respectable showing following a win, to be honest with you. That's um, very true. So we'll see what happens in Jacksonville. But until this team can put together two wins, there's no reason to think this is a team that knows how to string together wins. We'll see if they've learned how to do it. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll enter December talking about, you know, a winning streak. All right. Well, David, let's go ahead and get over to our next caller. What's up, boys? It's Tyler from Boston. It's always nice to stick it to the Falcons, and Mondays are always sweeter when you're celebrating a win. My biggest thing for the rest of the year, and you know, I want to congratulate him for today, Ronald Jones. I thought Ronald Jones ran really well. And for the rest of the year, I think it's going to be really important that he gets uh, work and is productive in the running game. I think for the rest of the year, the only game where it might be iffy is Indy. But against the Jags, who have been lackluster lately, same with Houston. Of course, he ran well against the Falcons. Um, you know, I think it's going to be important for him to get going for his development for the rest of the year and to give him confidence into next year, too. Thanks, guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of touched on that a little bit ago uh, with one of the previous callers. Watching this young secondary in, in Davis and Dean, even Sean Murphy bunting at times, Mike Edwards really coming on, seeing these guys get this experience, going up against these receivers that they've been going up against and playing as well as they've been playing despite some of some of the outcomes that builds confidence that's something that these players can grow on it's something that they can carry into next season because they will have that experience under their belt now they will know what they can do what they've already accomplished how to build on it and they will continue to get better we are talking about a secondary filled with first and second year players and I think a lot of times, David, even when you and I criticize them, we tend to forget that at times. I know at least I do. These are really, really young, raw guys. And seeing what they're starting to put together, and don't get me wrong, the pass rush against the Falcons helped tremendously, but we've talked about that for years. Having a strong pass rush whether you're actually sacking the quarterback or just getting pressure on them helps the secondary. It's when it's when these quarterbacks have all day to throw, which we've seen plenty of times with the Buccaneers defense, that the secondary can't hold up forever. Seeing them put both facets of that game together against the Falcons on the road in a big game, that's promising. And that's something to continue to build on. And I think with every game that Jamel Dean is getting in, especially the way he's preparing since that Seattle debacle, he he's getting better and better and better and, and learning exactly how far he can push himself and exactly how good he could be in this league. If he continues to make these strides. So yeah, again, the likelihood of the playoffs, though, not mathematically eliminated are pretty much none. And you are, yes, quote unquote, hurting your draft position with, with wins like this. But I'm not going to say the momentum is going to carry over because no, the, the momentum is not carrying over a full off season, but the growth and the confidence in the abilities will carry over. And it, it could lead to some great things in this secondary. Yeah. Um, I don't care about draft position at, Oh, so it's like, it's like you said, I mean, everything, everything has uh, a cause and effect, right? So if you win now towards the back half of the season, even though your, your, your record is pretty dismal and doesn't look like your playoff chances are pretty good. Got, you may not make the postseason, but like you said, and, and like, uh, like Tyler said, and like a lot of people are saying, you build confidence, you learn how to win games. That's what coach Arians is talking about is, you know, you learn more from almost losing than you do from losing. And that's true. Like Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston is going to be able to coming come into film work tomorrow or Wednesday or whenever he does the majority of his film work, and he's in. Well, it's going to have to be Monday, but he'll have to, he'll be able to go back to this game, turn on the film. He's probably watching it right now in, on his flight, unless they've already landed. Um, he's able to watch oh, it. Oh, he's going to be able to. They've landed and they're doing the Bruce Arians post game tailgate party. Are you kidding me? There you go. But he's going to be able to watch <laughs> the twenty two from this game. And he's going to watch his two interceptions and he's going to be able to learn from that. And he's going to be able to learn from it from the lens of success. And that is why that lesson is going to, that's why like when coach Aaron says you learn more from almost losing than you do from losing. That is why, because now you don't have the added pressure. Again, we've talked about pressure is cumulative, right? I've watched that first interception, James, not even joking right now, probably about 30 times, not like in full speed. I watched it in slow motion I've watched it from the broadcast slow motion. I watched it from their angles and what whoever their commentators were and what they were saying about it, all of that. Because nothing is as simple as Jameis Winston threw a ball, Mike Evans rounded out his route, that's why it happened. No, there's there's multiple layers to this thing. One of them is Jameis Winston started his progression from the left to the right. Mike Evans was the furthest receiver to the right, so it took the longest to get to Mike Evans in his progression. That's one aspect of this. The second aspect of this is that Mike Evans had inside leverage on uh, uh, Desmond Trufant when he came off the line. Right before Jameis Winston calls for the snap, Desmond Trufant turns. He puts his back to the sideline, which means he's giving inside leverage to Mike Evans. Mike Evans has that inside leverage when he comes off the line into his stem. When Mike Evans goes into his break, he gives up the inside leverage. You shouldn't do that, especially when you have an inside breaking route. If you have inside leverage 
on an inside breaking route, you don't give up leverage to your defender. That's wide receiver 101. Mike Evans, likely because he knew he was the last read in the progression, was not expecting for the ball to come there. I got it. Those are kind of the small things that coaches are going to have to go back now and say, listen, doesn't matter if you think the ball is coming to you, especially early in the game, run run like it is coming to you. You know what I mean? But that's something for the coaches to talk about. It's something for Mike to figure out moving forward. Got it. So there, that's that's another layer to this thing. The other layer to this thing is that because Desmond Trufant was giving inside leverage to Mike Evans and because his back was to the sideline, his head was entirely facing Jameis Winston. So when Jameis Winston went into his, his throwing motion, Desmond Trufant saw it while Mike Evans was not looking because he was not expecting the ball. And that's, again, one of the reasons he rounded his route. So that's why Desmond Trufant got the break that he got on Mike Evans in the first place. If Desmond Trufant is in trail position or is even trying to play a little bit under, he's running downfield. His head might be turned a little bit, but he's nowhere in the physical position to be able to make the break that he did on that ball. So that's another layer of it. The other layer of it is the cumulative pressure that he carried into this game from New Orleans. Go back and watch that film. Before Jameis Winston even makes the decision, you can see his, before his head is even fully focused on Mike Evans to decide he's going to throw that ball, he pats the ball. What does a quarterback patting the ball mean? Uh, he's getting ready to throw it. He's getting ready to throw that sucker. So Jameis Winston was already getting ready to throw before his head even made it to Mike Evans, which means his body, his subconscious has a clock and it's nervous and it's saying, I need to throw this ball. That's what that pat is. That pat is Jameis Winston subconscious who got 14, who got hit 14 times in each of the last three games saying, get rid of the ball, dude. Big people are about to land on you. That's why the interception happened. Because guess what happens right after after James Winston gets ready to not even after the ball is out. Guess what's happening as Jameis Winston is cocking the arm back to throw that ball? Do tell. <laughs> Ronald Jones is leaking out because he's on a chip. And, mm. and his assignment is to chip and leak out from the backfield. Jameis Winston in the third quarter makes that throw. He recognizes it. He sees that he feels comfortable and he hits Ronald Jones on his outlet instead of forcing that ball. Jameis Winston in the first quarter on the first series, carrying over the pressure they carried from New Orleans, throws that interception. That's why all these things happen. It's not as simple as, oh, there goes Jameis. No, it's it's all cumulative. It all builds to each other. It's 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 complex. It's layered. It's psychology. And and, and Bruce Arians talked about last week that he didn't really ever buy into sports psychology until now because he sees his team gets ready as well as any team he's ever coached. Has the athleticism is better than any team he's ever coached. Has the arm strength in a quarterback better than any team he's ever coached? All these things. But yet they come to the game, and it's like, why are we doing the, why are we making these mistakes? It's psychology. And on that first interception, again, the body language of Jameis Winston, the fact that Mike Evans gives up some of that leverage, the fact that Desmond Trufant makes a play uh, doing what he's doing, giving up inside leverage to Mike willingly to put himself in a better position to break on an in-breaking route. The fact that Jameis Winston's clock, like, watch him when he throws that ball. That pocket is clean. Jameis Winston is, is he's Sam Darnold. He's seeing ghosts on that play. And those are the ghosts from Tampa, and they're wearing Saints colors. As the game goes on, and I have to imagine Byron Leftwich or Bruce Arians or someone got into his head or he watched the, you know, looked at the pictures, and they said, look, dude, you got to settle down. You got to play within yourself. And he did. As he started playing in himself, as he started playing in this game, playing Atlanta, now we're in Georgia, leave all that behind. As he got there, you saw him calm down. You saw him compose himself. You saw him make better decisions. You saw him make better throws because he started playing in Atlanta. Well, guess what's going to happen if they come out to Jacksonville and he gets hit 14 times? Same thing's going to happen. He's going to get nervous, and it's it's understandable, but that's what's going to happen. That's what, I mean, again, that's what I believe just from watching it, looking at the body language again. Go back and look at it yourself if you think I'm wrong by all means. Tell me, but... When, when a quarterback sits there and he pats the ball, getting ready to throw the ball, before he's even looking at the target that he throws to, his subconscious, his body is telling him, dude, you got to get rid of this ball. And that's what that's the kind of thing that ends up happening when that happens. That's caused by getting hit, again, 30, 32 times over the course of the last three games. All right. Well, David, we have one more voicemail. Is that correct? Yeah. Did that answer Tyler's voice? Like, I feel like we got way off of Tyler's voicemail. <laughs> I think it did. He, you know, he had just asked about, you know, uh, not even <clears throat> not even asked so much as commented on how performances like this can help carry over into the next season. And you took that yes. in, in a sh- <laughs> in a smaller scale from carrying over from one season to the next to carrying over from week to week. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Next voicemail. Yeah. Hey, James. Hey, David. It's Chris. Uh, go Bucks. Glad they got a win today. It was a great game to see uh, the team come together after those two early turnovers. Um, you know, Winston put it all behind him, came back to three touchdowns. Defensive line had a nice Thanksgiving meal uh, three or four days early. Um, I think everything went well other than Matt Gay didn't have himself a, a great game. But when you play tight coverage, your defense has much more of an opportunity to break up the ball or to get to the quarterback, if we saw that today. Um, glad to see the secondary, the young secondary, starting to do some things uh, and go Bucks. All right, Chris. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the voicemail. Yeah, I mean we're not gonna we're not gonna complain about a win. You know that's not the that's not the way David and I approach things. And again, as I said at the beginning, I understand some fans they're gonna value that higher draft pick. They're gonna be frustrated with winning some of these games that that may drop them out of the top ten. Like I said, I think the Bucks have a really good chance of winning the next two games. But like David said. It's hard to to pick them to win next week when we haven't seen them string together back-to-back victories yet this season. But if they play games like they did against Atlanta, David, they can go toe-to-toe with just about anybody in the NFL. No, oh, they can go toe-to-toe with anybody from the NFL. That's, that's, again, that's a little bit why this is so frustrating. We mentioned it on many, many episodes ago where it's one thing – like so, one of the things I'm learning, and, and that kind of reaffirms my opinion of this, is from doing these these cross comment posts. I don't know what you want to call them, but basically, I've started, and Bucks Nation readers have seen them, and, and a lot of people have commented that they really enjoy them. I enjoy doing them, um, but for the last three weeks, and it's an idea that we stole from the Seattle Seahawks arm of SB Nation. I can't remember what their uh, site is called, but we stole it from them. Um, so credit to them. But basically, what what we do is. Every weekend while the game is going on, I'm in the opposing team's SB Nation comment section. And I'm as plays happen, so as interceptions happen, or touchdowns or fumbles or you know, big sacks, or whatever, I'm in their comment sections. I'm taking screenshots of some of their comments to show Bucks fans at Bucks Nation what the opposing side thought as the game was going on. And I'm learning that, you know, I've always known that fan bases are essentially all the same to a certain extent. But I'm learning a lot about these fan bases. Like like Atlanta's, for example, about Midway through the third quarter, Falcons fans pretty much stopped commenting on what was going on in the game. And from that point on, it was all about how Jake Matthews sucks. Calvin Ridley was a waste of a first-round draft pick. Dirk Cutter is a trash offensive coordinator. Coach Quinn needs to get fired. Like, I'm going in there. I'm like, oh, man, there was a really big play. Let me see what these fans are saying about it. And it's absolutely nothing nothing to do with the game. Like, that fan base is so tired of what they're seeing on the field right now with the Atlanta Falcons that they're not even really talking about the game for the most part. But then you look at like the Arizona Cardinals, and the, and this is the first one that I did this with uh, because we we found the idea, and I'm in the Arizona Cardinals comment section reading through these comments, and again this is a team they lost that game, and they're like towards the end of the game like oh man it's so great to see Christian Kirk out there bringing the passes oh man Kyler almost got that one like it's almost like going to like a little league game and you know you see like the parents I mean you're a hockey dad James like. You have the parents who's like, my kid is super talented and is probably going to get a scholarship someday. Like when that kid misses a slap shot, that parent's like, oh, I can't believe you missed that slap shot, Johnny. And then you have the kid over here who's like, it's his first year in skates and he really doesn't know how to work the stick yet. And his puck handling is not the greatest. So when he even gets close to the net, his parents are over there like, oh, go Claude. That was awesome. That's how I look at this. And when you look at the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers are the team that should be hitting the goal. The Buccaneers are the teams that should be in every single game, winning most of the games or winning a lot of these games, or at least competitive in every single one. So when you see them get blown out of some of these games or the way they've lost some of these games, it's frustrating because you know that they're better. The Cardinals fans, they're they're just happy that they're in it. They're just happy that their team's coming out and showing fight and that they're scoring points and that they're not getting blown out every week because everybody, including Cardinals fans, assumed that their team was basically going to be trash this year and we're looking to see what we can give our number one overall draft pick next year with our top five draft pick next year because that's who we are right now. Um, so to see them come in and do this against Atlanta, this is what you expect from this team. Again, it's it's great, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm I'm very ha- this episode has a has a negative undertone to it that I did not expect. <laughs> we're very happy. 
<laughs> we're very happy to have seen this victory. Um, but again, right when it's the fourth time this season that we've seen this victory, and you know for a fact that it should have happened at least probably one or two more times, if not more this year, it just makes it, it, it does make it a little bit more frustrating because you see that it could have been like if it just couldn't be fine. Like if your Pinto loses a drag race to a Ferrari, you're not going to get mad about that. Um, I don't know. I might. I, I, I'm done throwing analogies out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, here's the thing. When, when the Buccaneers have lost this season, we've tried to put into perspective what's gone wrong, what the issues were, where they can get better, why we think everything happened the way that it did. We try not to overreact to the losses. On the flip side, we try not to overreact to the wins. We we try to keep a level right. head. We, we try to bring a level of professionalism to the show. We're not going to fan out either way. And, you know, that's why I believe most of you listen to the show. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that the show has has negative undertones. We're just trying to be realistic. You know, I, I was, I was still mad about, you know, stuff in the group chat and, and Gil, mm-hmm. our managing editor <laughs> had said, you know, you're younger than me. Why are you so, you know, I, I can't remember how I phrased it. Basically, why are you so angry at the why world? Are you so crabby. You're younger yeah, than both you so of crabby? us. And I responded with, you know, I'm a realist. I'm not going to get too high on the highs and I'm not going to get too low on the lows. I take things for face value and I, you know, react to that. I'm, I'm not going to fool myself into something or fool myself out of something because of one game. I take the cumulative. So, you know, as, as bad as the Buccaneers have been this year, this was as good as we've seen the Buccaneers this year, but as we mentioned, and, and as David brought up originally, we haven't seen this team play this way two weeks in a row yet. They've they've followed up every win this season with a loss. The last time they they well, no, not the last time. The last time they won a game, they turn around and lost to um they lost to the Saints. But before that, they get a win and they lost three in a row. Like we're trying to be realistic and it's great that they got a win and it's great that they did it to a division rival. And it's great that they did it to their former head coach. The defense destroyed their former head coach's offense all day long. And their defense destroyed their former head coaches or their offense. The Bucks offense worked really well against their former head coach's defense all day long. Exactly. That it played back to back incredible games. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not upset at a win, regardless of of draft or whatever, and and I'll continue to bring that up because I know that there's people that are mad about it, and I know for a fact some of them listen to this show, talking to you, Chef and Ukulele Pete, but I still love you both. Yeah, I mean it's at it's this okay. Point, to... It's we are three days away from Thanksgiving. I'm not worried about the draft. Yeah, I'm not. Go ahead. I'm I'm sorry. I keep talking when you're talking. <laughs> you're good. I keep cutting you off. Um, I just want to say, like, it's okay to worry about draft position. Like, that's I'm not saying it's not okay to do that. I'm, all I'm saying is the higher draft position you have, especially when you're healthy, like, nobody's wishing for injuries, right? So if the Buccaneers have, end up with a top five pick and their roster is relatively healthy, that means you have a lot of holes that you need to fill. Like it's one thing when you have a high draft pick because you lost your starting quarterback and your main receiver and one of your main cornerbacks to injury, and they're coming back next year, so you're gonna take this high draft pick and add them to an already talented mix. And voila, look at the 49ers. That's exactly what happened to them. But when you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you're relatively healthy and you have a top five draft pick, that means you've got a ton of holes. That means you have a lot of things to fill. If this team makes it to eight and eight, relatively healthy with the young secondary they have, with some of the the the, the front the defensive front seven they have, with this quarterback, with this offensive line, well, that means that you're in a position where you don't need necessarily a top five draft pick because you're so desperate for talent that you're just you you know you're just going to suck up any talent you can get. You need to go find the right talent, 
And some of those guys might be role players. And it's a lot easier to identify role players in the draft than it is to identify stars in the draft. So when you have a team that's going out there and pressing to find stars, like that's why you get Vernon Hargraves drafted to your team because we're pressing to find a shutdown cornerback. So now when we draft this kid, if he's not a shutdown corner, he's nothing. Look at the Houston Texans. He's played one game with Houston. Guess, and did you notice where he played? Nickel. He played in the slot. Starting nickel was, corner. But he was drafted to Tampa Bay to be a shutdown outside corner. That's why it didn't work because this team drafted him to do that. And they basically said, you're either going to be a shutdown outside corner for this team or you're not going to be on this team. And that's fine. That's how you want to run your team. That's fair. Got it. But that's what happens when you have a team that's desperate for ex- for excellent talent. If you have a team that's already capable of winning, then you're not looking for guys to lift your team to capable of winning. You're looking for guys that can come in and be part of the system. Again, that's a lot easier to find than it is to find the other stuff. Um, heck, I would even if this team can finish seven, seven and nine or eight and eight. Like the improvement that we're going to have to see from this team for them to finish with seven or eight wins this year, I would venture to say, I mean, obviously, you know, not knowing how it would happen right now, sitting here in November, but I would venture to say that I could possibly myself anyway, be in a place where I come into next spring saying, trade your first round pick, get a couple more mid round picks and go find some of those mid round workers, go find your Juju Smith Schuster's, go find your Quan Alexander's, go find your Chris Godwin's who aren't coming in saying I'm going to be a star in a Hall of Famer no matter what because I'm the dude. But they're also coming in not saying, oh, I can't believe it wasn't a first-round draft pick. I'm going to kick my can down the street. Go find your workers. Go find your grinders. Go find the guys like Chris Godwin who are going to run over the middle knowing that KZ is driving down on him about to take his head off and catch the ball anyway and run it 71 yards in the end zone. Go find those guys because those are the guys that are going to, that are going to make you win football games in the National Football League. Benjamin Victor is one of them. Just saying. Um, but <laughs> I just Make had to throw that in there. But listen, well, we talk about consistency, right? Because guess what the Buccaneers are about to get consistently, no matter what happens next weekend. They're going to get a consistent type of opponent. The the Jacksonville Jack they just beat an Atlanta Falcons team that has scored less than 250 points and given up almost 300 points. And they have a losing record at home. Guess who that team is? The Atlanta Falcons. The Jacksonville Jaguars are the exact same team. The Jacksonville Jaguars have scored less teams in the Atlanta Fal- less points in the Atlanta Falcons deep or offense has, and they have a losing record at home. They're four and seventeen. So for two straight weeks, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster is about to face a team that you can pretty much use a Spider-Man gif of having them point at each other and saying, "Oh look, it's it's us." Can they beat them? They're talented enough to beat them, but are they actually going to do it? I'll tell you, the challenge they're going to have in this game in Jacksonville that they didn't have in Atlanta is speed. Like Julio is not as fast as he used to be. Calvin Ridley is not as fast as DJ Chark is. There's some speed on this Jacksonville roster, and there's some muscle coming out of the backfield on the Jacksonville roster that they did not see this weekend. So if the Buccaneers go in and try to do what they did this weekend, they're going to get beat. They're going to have to play Jacksonville differently. That's the consistency we're looking for. Can this team consistently come in and compete with NFL talent no matter who it is, no matter what it is, no matter what the circumstances are. Until they can do that, they're not going to string together wins because you're never going to find a carbon copy of the roster. But, I mean, no mistake about it, this Jacksonville Jaguars team is 4-7. and seven. They don't score a lot of points, and they give up more than they score, just like the Atlanta Falcons. So as long as this team doesn't beat itself, they can win. Just will they? All right. Well, David, that is going to do it for this episode because we are way over. This is a terrible time. episode. I'm sorry to everybody. It is not a terrible episode. It's terrible. Again, we try to keep things as as realistic as possible. No, we're honest. I'm not going to fake it or anything. But I mean, I was really excited to do this episode because I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about nothing but good stuff. But I, but it's hard. I mean, when you're when your team is when the team is four and seven, it's hard to not re stir up some of these negatives. So I mean, it's just it's just going to happen. Oh, just just wait until we uh, we discuss what what we were talking about in the group chat because things could get real ugly real fast. All right, we know it's a holiday week. We know everyone's going to be busy on Thursday. If you need something to listen to while you're cooking up, you know, the delicious Thanksgiving dinner, we will have an episode for you. You need something to listen to while you're out Black Friday shopping. We're still going to have an episode for you. That's right. We're still coming at you five days this week. But, and David, here it comes. I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. 
as part of our preview episode for the Bucks and Jaguars, are we going to give them part two of David reviews Star Wars and we talk about you <laughs> watching Return of the Jedi? Which was Return of the Jedi? Episode six. That's the third old one, right? Yes. Because we already talked about four and five. Well, we talked about five. Not so much four. A little bit of four, but the first one we really did was episode five. So we're going to talk about six? Yeah, we'll talk about six. All right. So you're going to get Bucks Jags preview plus more of David reviews Star Wars. And I know a lot of you are going to be excited about that. We got some really positive feedback on that episode. And I was honestly truly surprised because I thought we were going to get some hate for it. But that was a lot of fun. So we're gonna we're gonna do it again. And you're on you're still on what? You're partway through episode two now. <laughs> uh I finished episode two. Did you finish episode two? Okay. Yeah. So now but I'm gonna no. stop. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna watch them as like as we move forward. I'm only gonna watch it as we get to the week that we're gonna talk about it. So everything okay. is fresher. I'll rewatch them. I will watch episode six again before Wednesday so that for the show Friday, everybody has a fresh take. And I don't mix up any details. I'm so proud. Yeah. All right. But until then, please check out everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're sending in your voicemails to 813-444-5841. And now you can send us voicemails about the Buccaneers or Star Wars if you want to talk to David about his takes on Star Wars. Because... David believes Luke Skywalker was a turd, and I will forever laugh at that. I even told somebody that I work with about that, and they <laughs> cracked up, and they were like, I can see it. Yeah, he was a turd. If, he, if, if I was his commander, I would have chaptered him, which all my army guys know what that means. I do not, but I, I can imagine. But yes, send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. It is a victory Monday to kick off a holiday week. Does it get any better than that? Answer, no, it does not. Hope you all have a phenomenal day, and we thank you so much for joining us right here at LockedOnBucks. Time and enjoy this moment. Whoa. Whoa.